The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. One problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another live edition of the Work-Life Balance. We're coming to you live from Fort Wayne, Indiana, at the site of the largest PMI conference going on right now in the world. We're sitting in an auditorium filled with 30,000 project managers listening to us live. Uh, The good point is, is you don't know if that's true or not, but only the people in the room know how many are actually here. But uh, we've got a fantastic show lined up. We just finished a two-day professional development day that was put on by Great PM and the great John Stenbeck, who's who's, uh, obviously not only a great friend, but fan of the show. Uh, We've had uh, John on and and the number one author of the Agile Almanac, uh, which you can find at Amazon.com. But uh, John put together a fantastic event. Uh, we had uh, a tremendous amount of speakers here. Uh, Michael O'Brocta, a great friend of ours, uh, somebody I went to the Leadership Institute master's class with. Um, we've had uh, Andy Crow was here. Uh, we had all kinds of people. And then we had a great chance, and, uh, and to our surprise, a couple of gentlemen uh, that was speaking about a, a project that had a large impact, uh, not only to the community, but a lot of flowing impact uh, just to the electronic medical records and, and to uh, the healthcare industry as a whole. And uh, so we had some things that we were planning on doing the show, and as great project managers do, we pivoted because their, their story was compelling, uh, and we thought we would bring that to you guys. So I wanted to introduce while we could, we have uh, Ron Double here, who is our Chief Information Officer at Parkview Health, as well as Mark Pierce, who is the Chief Medical Information Officer. And we'll start with Ron. Ron, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Ron Double. I'm the chief, as uh, Rick said, I'm the chief information officer for Parkview Health. Um, Parkview Health is a uh, large integrated delivery network here in uh, northeast Indiana, northwest Ohio. We have about uh, 10 hospitals in our network, along with uh, 500 uh, physician employed physicians and about 100 practices scattered, uh, physician practices scattered all over northeast Indiana, northwest Ohio. Uh, as their CIO, I've been responsible for all their technology and all their uh, information technology-related projects uh, for several years. And Mark? Sure. I'm uh, Mark Pierce. I'm actually still active in clinical practice here in the Fort Wayne community, but spend most of my time serving as the chief informatics officer for, uh, chief medical informatics officer for uh, Parkview Health. I oversee a lot of the projects, and Ron and I uh, collaborate together in bringing physicians along the electronic journey and delivering uh, excellent patient care uh, to those we serve here in Northeast Indiana. Well, and we certainly appreciate you guys joining the show and, and you know, allowing us to kidnap you because I, I think you came here just to, 
to do an hour or so presentation uh, to the group, and we thought your story was compelling and wanted to share that with our listeners in 91 countries uh, here on the work-life balance. And, and I, you know, I tend to take things in a different direction, so I don't think you guys are quite prepared or where we're going to go with this yet, uh, and certainly weren't prepared. I, I know I didn't brief you on interview questions, and, and we also uh, have the interesting uh, opportunity that we have a live audience with us, so we're going to also be reaching out to you uh, for live questions as we take this this journey over the next hour uh, with, with our audience. Um, you can also tweet us at, at Rick A. Morris or go to uh, rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com to submit questions. Uh, we'll be happy to take those throughout this broadcast as well. So jumping right into it, first of all, why don't you describe the project just really briefly. Uh, I mean, this was a tremendous project. It was huge. And, and we got the good view story, um, as we should put in front of our project managers. And, and I'd love to hear that portion first, and then we'll get into some of the nitty-gritty. Sure, I'll be glad to. So um, the project we're talking about is the implementation of a new electronic medical record throughout our health system. Um, it started on a uh, decision in uh, February of 2011 that we were going to uh, implement a new solution, and we were going to move away from our uh, legacy vendor and also uh, incorporate um, a large number of practice management solutions and electronic medical records that we had uh, had uh, gotten into our organization through the acquisition of physician practices. So at that time, we were uh, um, nine hospitals, I believe, and about uh, 250 employed providers, and uh, we're growing rapidly at the same time as we were building a new regional medical center and moving our main campus about 10 miles to the north. So we had many projects going on at the same time uh, as we went into this uh, electronic medical record project. So it was a um, a three-year journey to... uh, uh, build and implement uh, a new electronic medical record across the system. And as this is sort of a project management uh, seminar we're wrapping up here, one of the other challenges, Ron, is that uh, certainly we were uh, hampered by some uh, dates that were not movable. We had some regulatory requirements that uh, required us to come in at a specific date in order to make opportunities to participate in government programs before a limited time only. So not only in, in scope is this a monumental change for the health system, providers in the community, but we really had to pay attention to, to key pieces of uh, time and budget as well. And so that's always the rub, right? We have key dates, we have huge targets, and while we think we always know, it, as we know in all projects and most of the listeners out there in the audience know, um, there's always things that we uncover once we get started uh, that either grow the scope or grow the effort. Um, you know, I, I had the opportunity to hear your speech, so you started with a team of 70. What, what did that team grow to uh, size of? So we started with a, a team of, of uh, we built a team of 70, and from our original team of 70, we ended up adding on to it at the high point of the project. We grew to 150 and then slowly um, worked our way back down after implementation. So was the growth of that team, though, because of the dates, or was that just more other requirements that you had found? It really was focused on the amount of things that we wanted to accomplish and also the realization that we needed a lot more people in the field doing training and at the elbow support that really grew the team bigger. And by the way, if any of these questions hit too close to home, you could just say, you know, not applicable or I don't want to answer. <laughs> no, that, that, it's, it's, it's fine. Because <laughs> my intent is not to put you guys on a firing line, but, you know, it's it's very rare. And, and first of all, let me just say how blessed we are to have both of you in the room and being so open to discuss this because it's very rare 
insight, I think, for project managers to be able to sit down with two executives such as yourself on something so large and to be able to have a frank and honest conversation about it. Um, it, it is something I think is, is necessary in our, in our industry. Um, but, you know, I, I said it in my speech, and you guys got a chance to hear a little bit of what I say. Um, it, it's so funny because a lot of times people feel that executives are unaware. And a lot of times I feel that they are, but there was this stigma in the sense of they're unaware because they didn't want to be aware or they're just aloof. And, and I think that information becomes synthesized so much by the time it reaches you, either through people not wanting to be honest or not wanting to be held accountable or wanting to show you the sunny side of life every day that you don't honestly always get that honest opinion. Can you share anything like that? Do you guys feel that sometimes? Or, or I mean, am I speaking the truth in that? No, I, th- I think you're spot on. We, we feel that oftentimes, and that degree of separation from where the real work and the real innovation gets done can, can certainly hamper leadership going forward. Uh, related to the project that, that we, we spoke about in our talk, one of the absolute blessings we have is a completely engaged senior leadership team. So even at the individual scrum level and report outs down as far in the lead as you can get, we have board members participating. We have our CEO participating. And I would probably say uh, we've been blessed with success here in uh, Allen County and surrounding counties in no small part to the leadership, how they interact, uh, what their vision is, and how they value uh, time spent down uh, with those who are really on the front lines of healthcare and, and, for that matter, project management and operations. I agree. We had a large number of uh, executives who just wanted to participate, who really bought into the project and were there. So. And transparency. We promoted transparency. We wanted to know up front if things were going well or they weren't going well. So we really promoted transparency across the organization. I do want to clarify on our growth numbers. A large number of that growth was the realization as we went through the project that training was so important. And so a large number of that increase was in people to design training programs and to lead us through a training effort. Oh, I think that's fantastic. And, and so, again, in my seminar yesterday, we talked about how testing and training seems to be the first thing that we tend to cut. And when we cut that, right, that, that's a, a horrible user experience, and we end up cutting out the very people that we're trying to do these projects for. So that recognition or that cost certainly uh, I think was well done. And, and, and back to your point, um, Mark, it, executive leadership is number one in Paramount. Um, and... Uh, I think it was a blessing to hear that. I, I don't think that that's something that we experience on a daily basis in our industry, but I, I would say, and would you say that was the key to the success of the project? One of the key factors for certain. The transparency that Ron mentioned was real. We had documents that supported exactly what was reported out earlier with these stand-ups. The fact that we had executive leadership to hear it firsthand when a document came across the desk, there was a a different level of relationship between those building the project, overseeing it, and eventually implementing it that allowed us to partner, I think, in a different, a more rich and unique way that led to the overall success. So let me just jump in for just a second on on success. I think the executive leadership and, and executive engagement was really, really important. I think probably the thing that made the project really work well was the commitment by the team. And so we went through a process of selecting um, a team that uh, both had technical and behavioral competencies to do the role. And that really, and then they were committed, and they really wanted to see this through, and they committed to the team. So I think, or committed to the project. So I think the team selection was probably one of the key success factors. 
All right, so we're right up against our first break again. We're here with Ron Double and Mark Pierce. They're with Parkview Health, and as you can see, for once, my project managers out there, we've got some open and honest executives. So we're going to see how far we can actually grill that over the next three segments. You're listening to the Work Life Balance with Rick Morris. We'll be right back. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. Today, every business is in the software business. And business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other. Where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage. Where applications aren't just part of your brand. They are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back. We appreciate you listening to our sponsors. We always like to thank R-Square Consulting because, of course, I own that organization, and CA for being our chief sponsors of the Work-Life Balance. Uh, we're talking to Ron Double and Mark Pierce of uh, Parkview, Med- uh, Parkview Health. Sorry, I want to make sure I say that properly. Parkview Health, and we were talking about their EMR project. And uh, so we were just talking about the importance of management oversight, management buy-in to a lot of these projects. And I think what, what we don't always state, and I think that we should state, you know, project managers, we always say that that's one of the most important things to project success. Now, I say in my seminars, well, Every company has too many projects, not enough project managers. Well, I can certainly state 
I, I believe there's only one CIO uh, at Part 2. There's only one CMIO. So if you have that situation of too many projects, not enough project managers, or even let's say you're right size and you have just enough projects and just enough project managers, certainly don't have enough executives to give the proper oversight that you need. Um, so what is the work-life balance of an executive, and certainly in, in healthcare? So uh, I'll turn it over to Ryan in a second, but if I could just take a second to set the background for this. So we talk about work-life balance, and healthcare is uh, among one of the many that are truly a 24-by-7 industry. There is no third shift. There is no off-cycle. It's 24-7, 365. Those knowledge workers who, who populate healthcare, the nurses, the physicians, everybody from top to bottom, aren't necessarily the best traditionally at, at work-life balance. I suppose you could judge that by divorce rates, by depression, by suicide rates. So stepping into even a discussion of healthcare executive leadership with project management, you're stepping into murky waters and folks that sort of underperform when you look at a bell-shaped curve. So, uh, Ron, what are some of the tips and tricks that uh, have allowed both you and I to have some longevity in the organization? So, first of all, it's culture. It's really driven by culture. You know, uh, as as executives in healthcare, you work a lot of hours. You're uh, you're there early, early. Doctors like to meet at uh, five, six, seven o'clock in the morning, and you end your day at eight, nine o'clock at night uh, with meetings because with physicians, you really have to get them when they're not seeing patients. So, there tends to be a lot of that. But as a culture uh, at Parkview, we emphasize the importance uh, of taking that time for yourself. And so we realize that you're going to be there long days, some days, but that means you need to take some time off uh, later in the week. So we do that. The other thing I think, and there's, there's a culture of that in the organization, but the other thing I think that's important is I talked in the presentation about management by walking around. And I do a lot of management by walking around, and as, as a leader, as you're out walking around talking to your team members, a lot of them can be stressed, and you can feel that stress, and it's really recognizing that they need a break from this and getting them out the door. So we do spend a lot of time focused on that. How do we make sure that people are getting the right amount of time away? On an individual level, from, from an executive standpoint, when we went live with this project, management by walking around was a, a, a real thing. And so how do you get to those third shift nurses? How do you get to those physicians who are there working the, the, the nighttime? And I, I know that, uh, Ron, I, I saw you many times when I was walking around the halls at 3 a.m. with uh, Dr. Johnson, our chief medical officer, there to provide a little bit of technical support, but as you mentioned as well, behavioral support. Uh, appreciation for the work, for the effort, for the change management that's going on, really while the rest of the community is uh, asleep. And uh, you know, those are the things that uh, you, you put forth that kind of effort uh, when you're undergoing a huge change, a huge project like we were at Parkview at that time, but then the recognition that there is a recharge time and a regroup time afterwards so that we can all be whole by the time this is done and be ready to, uh, to go because the pace of change in these projects keeps, uh, keeps coming. One more comment, trusted, trusted uh, partners. And, you know, as our teams, if they had trusted partners, they relied on each other. So if one wanted to take off, they could. That's how our executive team works. If one of us needs to be away, um, I have trusted partners that I know I can rely on to do the right thing. So if they need to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me. But, we, we, again, it's culture-driven. How do you drive a culture of uh, people wanting to uh, or allowing people to take that time when they need to? Well, and I find that interesting that uh, I, I will say just personally, again, and uh, through observance, is that you were there. Um, so there's one to say that you have executive buy-in, and that's, you know, hey, buddy, good job. And, you know, 
there's the other executive buy-in in, in, in hearing you both say walking around at three in the morning and, and, and showing visibility. So when we talk about, you know, do we have to work weekends? Do we have to work overtime? Sometimes that's absolutely necessity in, in every industry. The question is, is whether or not the executives are bought in enough that they're going to be there when that occurs. And is that enough buy-in just to show that I believe in this just as much that, you know, hey, we're, we're all going to pull the bootstraps up and get this done together. So I commend you both for that level of commitment as well. I would say one of the big enablers of that is, is from the get-go, the messaging, the true meaning behind our EMR implementation was to put the patient at the center of care. And we talk about uh, meaningful work and understanding purpose when you come in and how you contribute to delivering health care. The IT team that, um, that, that built this system, we challenge them that you're now healthcare providers. And most certainly that when uh, effort is required to step up to the plate with extra hours, extra effort, extra brain power, rallying behind something that's as important to us at Parkview as, as putting the patient first and delivering excellent care is, is something that, uh, that folks are willing to step up for. So now we're in a post-EMR piece, right? When did this go live? Well, we're, you're never in a post. You are well, true. <laughs> As we continue to grow, we continue to roll it out. We went live with our first waves starting in 2012. We, we uh, implemented waves, and we started in 2012 and ran waves all the way through the end of, of 2014. Um, and we brought up our hospitals all in 2013. So, um, but we are up and continue to as the organization continue, continues to grow, we continue to spread. So with that, right, there is still that collective sigh of live and, and that kind of stuff. What, what are you doing now, though, right? What is that next big thing that is consuming the time or that next big project? That's an interesting question because we have more projects than we could possibly ever want. So the, the thing about having large projects, uh, I, I mentioned in the presentation earlier that we are building our regional campus and moving it 10 miles to the north, and we were also at the same time um, doing this project as well as building a community hospital all concurrently. But we had three large projects that everybody was focused on. What happens when you don't have a large project to focus, everybody starts wanting everything. And so the challenge was, how do you move from an organization focused on large projects to an organization focused on 150, 200 uh, smaller projects all going in different directions. So that's been the, tra the hard transition for us is how do you get, to get enough governance around managing all those uh, disparate uh, projects. And, of course, all 250 are priority one. Of course. Yes, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you have some insight on, on what you guys are doing there? Or is it sure. just kind of baby steps at this point? Well, it is, you know, a part of it's a maturity. So as an organization, we grew from a, a small, what I would call a small organization to a pretty large organization overnight. We grew very rapidly. And uh, part of it is the whole maturity around project and portfolio management. So we've undertaken a, a task or a, a effort, I won't call it a project, I call it an effort, to really start working through a better process of portfolio management. We've put the governance in place that projects have to go through an approval process, how they come in and managing the approval process. So we did it first from an IT perspective, and now we're getting ready to roll it out to an enterprise perspective. So it's, more, not, it's not as much about managing the individual projects. It's about managing that big portfolio of projects, and which it's just like managing your financial portfolio, which ones give you the best return, which ones are best for our patients. So those, those are the things we're trying to look at now, and we're really changing the way we uh, are managing projects. 
And the fascinating piece that keeps us interested and intellectually engaged is that one of the projects is always keeping up with healthcare. And with one stroke of the pen from Washington or one change in uh, a, a tweak of an insurance plan, suddenly a, a new project emerges or one changes in priority. So uh, for, for Ron and I especially as well as our entire leadership team, whatever portfolio we think we have, all you need to do is uh, go to bed and wake up the next morning, and that could be completely changed. Yeah, we, we have several healthcare clients, and, you know, they, they just stop watching CNN and the politics because, you know, oh, we're going to rip this out. No, we're not. Well, we're going to put this in. No, we're not. And you're just like, sorry, I don't even want to know what the decision is next because of the impact it has and the immense costs that come with that, but also the silly dates that they seem to just throw in without understanding what that impact is to you guys. And, and as you said, it can completely shake up your portfolio and the work-life balance of your entire team without the understanding of what is the value that that's really going to provide on them. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and we'll, watch, we'll watch his face for a second as we say, ICD-10. <laughs> So interestingly enough, another project though, that was managed well, and uh, you know we expected a downturn from ICD-10. The expectations of the industry was that you would see a significant downturn uh, in your ability to code and collect, and you know we did not see that downturn, uh, significant downturn. And it's all about planning and getting people engaged early, and that's what we did. I think the other piece there is we got folks engaged early for the first date, and for the second date, they were engaged early, and when they moved it to a third date, they were also engaged early as well as the fourth. Yeah. So whatever lead time we had by the, by the number of strokes of a pen where it was delayed, uh, we did have plenty of time to get our ducks in a row before final go live last October. Well, it sounds like you guys are extremely proactive, whereas most of the industry just says, ah, we're going to wait because we know it's going to change. And I, I think maybe that's a difference in how you guys run your business versus most in healthcare at this point. <laughs> so when we come back, we're, we're right up against another break here. When we come back, we're going to wait for the audience to kind of give us some questions here. We'll also uh, keep diving in here. Um, I'm going to also want to uh, get into a little bit more of that portfolio management. I'd love to hear it always from the CIO perspective, and we talk about it from the Hydra perspective, right? So as soon as you finish that one big project, there's 15 waiting. You finish the 15, there's 30. When there's 30, it's 45. And so I always love, and, and so we always speak as if we know what that feels like from your perspective. And when we talk about uh, Iron Triangle and, and which side you fall on, I would love just to get some of that direct insight from somebody who lives this battle every day because it's, it's who screams the loudest, who, you know, the phone is ringing all the time. And how do you really balance that portfolio, not only from a customer perspective, but you have your multiple customers, right? You have your patients, you have your providers, you have all that, but then the internal departments. And how do we balance that? And what I find fascinating in most organizations is that for some reason, we always hand check that decision down to IT. And from an IT perspective, we don't care in the sense that we just want the ability to get the job done but we need the business to tell us what's most important sometimes. And they, whenever we put that challenge back to them, it's always, well, you just make the decision. <laughs> and I don't know why it always falls to the CIO, but it does. But I'd love to hear if you have any insights or stories to that when we come back. I'm telling you that now so we can give you the two-minute break to think about your response. You're listening to The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. We'll be right back. Are you- 
Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back, again, coming to you live from Fort Wayne, Indiana, wrapping up a two-day professional development day event here that was uh, brought on by Great PM. If you want this hosted at your PMI event, you can reach out to uh, John Stenbeck. He brought on an incredible event uh, that they asked him to do, and he he reached out and got a lot of favors from a lot of us to get us all to hang out here, but it's been a fantastic time, and we've enjoyed ourselves immensely. Been talking to uh, Ron Double, CIO of Parkview Health, as well as Mark Pierce, who's the Chief Medical Information Officer, Parkview Health, talked about their electronic medical records uh, project, and we've been diving into some more uncomfortable questions as I can sprinkle them in as any good project manager who's got a trap uh, CIO uh, will do. Uh, but, uh, no, we, we had a couple of questions in the audience uh, while we were on break. I want to make sure we address those, and then, and then we'll come back to some other things. So one of the biggest th- topics that came up during the speech um, was that, you know, one of the things that you hoped to do was, was basically hold on to some of the talent. Uh, hold on to some of the people that, that uh, and, and I can't remember the exact term. You, you said it so much better than I'm saying it right now. You articulated it better. 
but uh, t- talent retention, I think, is what you said. Um, and so uh, can you address, first of all, wh- what you saw from talent retention, what you hope to do better? And then the specific question is, you know, some, you know, some of the best people on some of these projects, sometimes they may not want to come back, and sometimes they do want to come back, and how do we address that going forward? So in this project, uh, what we talked, what we discussed in the uh, session was that we um, decided to build within rather than buy resources. And so we ask our organization to give up the best of the best out of their departments and give them to us for this project and people to step out of their current roles and step into a project role. The catch to that is we're going to backfill all of these uh, people that we've moved out. And so when they're done with the project, their job isn't there anymore because someone else is in the job. And so how did we handle that? What was the challenge of handling that? And it's interesting that people were so motivated to move forward with the project. A lot did step out of their current roles. And when... And their roles weren't there when they uh, when the project was over. But what we had done was we had built talent that you can't replace in the organization. So the people who had stepped out into the project actually ended up, most of them, a lot of them, in better roles than they had when they originally started because now they had the experience and the talent that they could move into other roles and help lead. They had a broader knowledge of the whole organization and the whole system rather than just the silo that they had been in in the past. So from that perspective, that's how it really played out. Um, As far as retention, we retained a large number of our folks, but we did have some people who uh, got offers to go elsewhere, and they chose to do that. One of the challenges you have when you're doing a project like this is you invest a lot of money in education. How do you retain that education? And we really didn't find the sweet spot in doing that when we were uh, implementing and following the implementation of the system. And, and so timeline-wise, we created a, a knowledge worker who was in high demand. Uh, when we were finished with our implementation, that was about the time that the High Tech Act was gaining steam and a lot of other hospitals were doing large implementations as well. So the supply and demand uh, led us to lose some, some folks that we hate to see leave Northeast Indiana, but certainly went on to uh, improve patient care in other communities. And that's tough to see. And, and you know, we want investment in great people. We want investment in that great development, so you certainly don't want to peel that back. But, uh, you know, we see that more and more. Uh, so I had a great gentleman on my show last week, Michael Parrish Judell, and we talked about the changing workforce, not only just in the millennials, but the change that really happened through the 80s and 90s. And, and so one of the, the stories I always like to tell, you know, I watched my dad grow up. He started his own company, and one of their things was they had a goal and a stretch goal every year. And if they hit their stretch goal, they took everybody in the company and their spouse on a cruise. Now, we lived in Florida. That was pretty simple to do. So when I got in the workforce, I was like, dude, where's my cruise, man? I just thought that's what all companies did. Um, but if you look in the 50s and 60s, everybody wore their company as a badge of honor. Right? And you said, you know, once I start here, that's where I'm going to retire. And now it seems today it's, all right, well, I'm going to invest a little bit in you. You're going to invest a little bit in me. and We're going to see if this is mutually beneficial. Um, so one of the statements that he brought up, and I'd just like to run this by you guys, um, certainly as we relate this to millennials, but I think it, it's, it's more beyond just millennials as well. Um, one is, you know, they want to make an impact. But two, that it seems that the knowledge worker these days wants to be challenged with more than just one role. 
So that, that growth is, it's not, I just want to be a business analyst or developer or a project manager or this. It's the ability to learn multiple tasks and become almost an agile worker, to, if you will. What do, what do you think about that? Do you think he's on with that or are you seeing that in the marketplace as well? Yeah, I, I think he's on with that quite a bit. I think we're actually blessed in healthcare to, to fulfill a lot of those needs. Uh, amongst the healthcare vertical are, are many other silos and sub-verticals from, from finance to legal to operations and for even nutrition services, right? So there's everything in between. And one of the great things with, uh, with the healthcare verticals is you can show impact and meaningful work in changing lives on a daily basis in your community from day to day, patient to patient, hour to hour, yet at the same time there's a longer vision of improving the health of your community on a more macro level. It's certainly one that we've embraced at Parkview, and I think that equips us to really meet the needs of millennials, and we're seeing a lot of those folks come through nursing and some of the other disciplines where we've been hiring quite a bit lately. So I think we're lucky to be able to meet that, and we're certainly seeing that from the applicants that are coming through the doors as well. But I don't know that that's necessarily a millennial thing. I do think we're seeing that, and I do think it's – but I don't know if it's necessarily a millennial thing because um, I'm a boomer, a very young boomer, but I'm a boomer, and I had that desire. I think it's more the individual and the uh, background that they come out of that's driving that than it necessarily is a generational thing. And I, would, and I can agree with you, too. I mean, it's easy for us to put into box, you know, this is generation, but I'm a Gen X. I'm the forgotten generation. So they talk about baby boomer, and then they talk about millennials, and then I'm like, hey, what about me? Uh, but uh, I'm a Gen X, but I, I was very, very passionate about the companies that I worked for until those companies became dispassionate about me. And so I, mine became learned behavior, but I, I wanted everything that I did to be impactful. I wanted to believe, I had to believe in the leader that I followed, and I had to believe that the work I did meant something, or I couldn't show up to do what I did every day. This is a quick story on my background, because I think yeah, it's, it's all about finding your passion. So I started out uh, coming into healthcare doing billing, uh, patient revenue. Uh, there is nothing worse in life than patient revenue. And so um, I quickly realized that if I was going to be in healthcare, this was not where I needed to be. So I moved into the hospital, and then I saw what the difference you could make by putting systems and into place in patient care, and that changed my passion. So uh, thus, I've been with Parkview a long time, and uh and stayed in healthcare because of that difference you could make in patient care. So that was my passion that I found, and it just made me want to keep learning more and more and more and change roles. So I've had nine roles in my time uh, in Parkview, um, and the CIO being the longest one for the last eight years. I mean, it's a great story, and I think if anyone's listening out there and wants the ability to be able to change roles and have different uh, opportunities, but still have that long-term career. I think healthcare is still out there and still a fantastic vertical to be in to be able to do that. You know, I think there are a few uh, verticals that you can do that. I think finance and banking is, is one where you're, you're able to switch through and do a bunch of different things, but still have that long-term can, career. I think healthcare is another one. But, but healthcare is obviously in the news, you know, quite a bit. I'm seeing some great innovations. Uh, my organization is, is working uh, a lot with drug development companies right now where we're, we're trying to innovate and, and, and grow in the clinical research outsourcing market, which is, you know, obviously a hot, you know, commodity until it doesn't become one. Uh, 
uh, medical device, you know, that kind of thing. But um, when we come back here, because we're going to take our final break, and, and then we just got a few more minutes uh, after that. But when we come back uh, from, from our final break here, there's two things I always like to, to delve into. One, I always like to ask the guests. Um, what I'd like to, to, to ask you is, you know, where do you see that future? What do you see that excites you, right? Obviously, there's always things that are on the horizon. You guys have got to have some sort of future forecast of things that potentially could happen, things that uh, you would hope that would happen. I'd love to see that. And then we always ask every one of our guests, how do you want to be remembered? So that's a totally different question, which comes way off base from anything that we talk to, which is why, again, I give you the heads up on that. Um, but uh, we've had a fantastic time here again in Fort Wayne. Um, we're here with 30,000 other like-minded people in a room, and uh, we've had uh, a great time in the Work-Life Balance. We've got one more segment. We hope that you hang on. You've been listening to the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Today, every business is in the software business, and business is booming. That's because we live in an application-driven world, where the lines between physical and digital are blurrier every day. It's a world where billions of connected things talk to each other, where agility is the new driver of competitive advantage, where applications aren't just part of your brand, they are your brand. All of this means you have a new mandate. Build the apps that will drive the future of your business and satisfy demanding customers, or fall behind. Only CA Technologies has the years of expertise and the end-to-end -end portfolio of software solutions to help you plan, build, manage, secure, and scale the applications at the heart of your modern enterprise. To learn how your business can thrive, visit rewrite.ca.com, your exclusive source for insights from the cutting edge of the application economy. This is not a radio ad. It's a collection of computers, servers, transmitters, satellites, and receivers, all powered by the most transformative force in business today, software. Just think about how many applications you have within reach at this very moment. And not just on your phone. If you're in your car, software is powering the GPS that guides you. Turn left ahead. The digital road signs that direct you onward. And the engine computer that keeps you moving. Soon, software will even replace you as the driver. Switching to auto drive mode. This is life in the application economy. And the opportunities for businesses are endless. But only if you have the tools to seize them. From planning to development to management to security, end-to-end -end software solutions from CA Technologies can help your business succeed in this new application-driven world. Learn how at rewrite.ca.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance where uh, John Stenbeck has just offered everybody a free book. So if you just call his cell phone in the next five minutes, a free book uh, is on its way to you. You just have to know what the cell phone is. 
uh, and a free book is coming your way. Uh, so we've been having a fantastic time here at the Fort Wayne uh, Professional Development Day. By the way, we do recognize this is recorded and on iTunes. Uh, so for those of you listening on demand, it's within five minutes of when you heard this that you could simply call John Stenbeck, and that book will be on its way. Uh, so uh, we've been meeting with Ron Tubble and Mark Pierce. Um, and again, as we were going into the break, we are talking about the technology horizon, and I'll show the story again that I shared with the group. So for me, I was the original remote control for my father, right? So come here, flip that dial to seven. And, and you know, he programmed uh, RPG2 on AS400s but couldn't uh, figure out how to program a VCR. Um, you know, why does it always have to be on Channel 3? It's like, Dad, just please. All right. Um, so there was that piece. Um, then there's, you know, I'm watching my, my daughter, 15-year-old daughter, tried to, um, you know, my, my father-in-law was in the Navy, could, could pilot just about any boat that was out there, but can't figure out how to pull up Facebook on an iPad. So what is it technology-wise, and I can't wait to find out what that is, what is it technology-wise that I'm not going to be able to figure out, that I'm going to have to rely on a 9-year-old to teach me? And, and I know it's coming. I know that day is coming, and I can't wait to find out what that technology is. But a lot of times, CIOs get to see that technology horizon or even start thinking about that technology horizon as you plan for an organization. What is it possibly that's, you know, next five years, ten years that you hope healthcare will get to? Well, I think there's two different things. I think uh, when you look at it from our movement from treating patients uh, for, you know, giving care to patients, it's more the idea of transitioning healthcare and using technology to keep them well, keep them healthy, keep them out of out of healthcare, using genetics and all of the information that we can glean from that to help to um, move the population forward in health rather than in care. I think that's number one. But the second one is I think it's going to be easier uh, for our our, uh, pay, our I don't even call our patients uh, those who want to interact with the healthcare system because of the digitization of healthcare. So you know our smartphones contain more and more. Uh, you know, there's more intelligence that we can get to in our smartphones than we could ever in the world before. So our smartphones and all the new medical devices that are coming out that fit onto your cell phone, I think that's really going to transform healthcare where you're going to rely on that device to help you in your healthcare journey or that type of technology in your healthcare journey or your health journey and rely less on um, the traditional methods of receiving care, and I think that's really the big transition. Um, and then from a um, uh, financial perspective, the world's changing more to a world of population health where we're managing uh, the health of large populations of people and getting paid to keep people well rather than paying to take care of them and moving out of that fee-for-service world. So those are the three things I see really transforming healthcare in the next uh, five years, actually. I would say it's five years. Yeah, I, c- I couldn't agree more with you, Ron. I would probably point uh, two things that might complement uh, what you've eloquently said, and I think you're spot on. One of those, I think, is in the area of personal technology, the concept of data that we derive from an individual patient based on wearables, something as simple as a shirt that you put on that can tell you at your workplace whether or not you're lifting correctly and engaging the right muscles to lift to uh, avoid uh, back injury. Those sorts of of types of individual, patient-centric, individual patient journey types of devices that could give us information that we could use in combination with uh, genomics and uh, um, uh, widespread uh, predictive analytics to be able to say, here's what your risks are and here's how we mitigate those. 
uh, things that are simple, like the wearables for, for, for back muscles firing is one thing, but we're getting to the point on nanotech where we can actually look at, at, at uh, a pancreas, an external computerized pancreas that's the size of, of a fingernail. Those sorts of things, I think, are, are on the horizon that, that are exciting. And the second piece I would point out is more around healthcare delivery. There are centers of excellence in each of the specialties that we find across the country, and for that matter, across the world. And, and I think what's fascinating, what will happen is that virtual reality will actually become reality reality, and potentially you can be remote and have a surgery performed by a world-class expert elsewhere. And, and those are the types of technologies that I think will help us uh, combat things you see in the headlines where we're short medical practitioners and we'll have unmet need and, and patients looking for someone who will help them navigate their, their healthcare journey. And I think those sorts of delivery enablers and multipliers are, are, are going to be the future as well. That's absolutely mind-blowing. That's phenomenal to even think of. I was just hoping for not having to fill out the forms when I show up at the doctor and having them text me when they're running two and a half hours behind. I think if we can get there, I'd be immediately happy. Um, but no, in, in all honesty, and we're starting to see some of that, right? So the breathalyzer coming out of the phone, we saw that on Shark Tank, and now they're even moving into health where that instead of a breathalyzer, right, which is solving one, but now capturing health and disease type of information by blowing into that. Um, you know, we're starting to see some of these advents of the wearables and that kind of stuff, but I, you're, you're right. In some of the things that you're saying there, in the wearable technology and preventing injury and moving more into the preventative care versus the aftercare, I think, is a tremendous market. Nope, stumped them on that one. <laughs> so then our final question that we always like to ask you guys, and, 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 you know, if, if this is the first time that, you know, people are exposed to you, um, what do you hope that they gain from hearing you on the show, and, and how would you guys like to be remembered for this last hour other than having to endure being grilled by a project manager for 45 minutes? So I'll jump to that first. Uh, I, I think from the project management piece, Rick, we talked about um, really the idea of when there are important changes, there are technical changes that you need to enable an organization with. There are behavioral changes as well, and I think that's probably the one piece in, in our um, stop here at Fort Wayne that I would like to be uh, remembered by. I think it's a key piece that we often forget. Relating it back to the work-life balance, behavior change is hard. It's not an easy thing. It's not a nine-to-five thing. It's, it's a lifestyle, and I think it can impinge certainly on work-life balance because those habits at work don't necessarily change when you get in your car and, and roll home. And it's effort. It's cognitive effort. It's staying in the moment. And I think those are the things that are going to enable us to continue to move forward and adapt with changes, whether it's in healthcare or in uh, whatever vertical or, or job you're in. I think the two things that I would comment on are leadership engagement and not leadership oversight. The whole concept of being engaged, being out there, knowing what's going on, doing the management by walking around, that whole concept of engaging and not just oversight. I think too often leaders uh, sit in their tower and aren't engaged with the, with the team members. I think that's probably one. Um, the second one that just left my head um, is, is related to... Um, the idea that um, you need to now I can't even come up with it. That's so quite I, all think right. I think the one that I'll stick with then is the leader leadership engagement. I think that's perfect. And is there a website that you know our listeners could go to to find out more about your medical centers and, and everything that you guys do? Sure, www.parkview.com, um, and uh, we'll 
we're out there. Well, we certainly appreciate you guys. And again, just for all of our listeners, these two gentlemen came in today thinking they were just doing a one-hour seminar. Somehow Stenbeck uh, got you guys to do this cold. So there was absolutely 100% no preparation. Uh, plus, uh, I did not even prep you on any of the questions I was going to be asking you, which is something that we normally do for this show. So we appreciate you coming in, uh, being sports, and, and playing along. But certainly... Um, I learned a, a tremendous amount in, in the last hour, and I, I think a lot can be la- uh, learned and, and gained from you guys um, because I do work with a lot of executives, as you said, that, that do sit in that ivory tower, and I think that engagement, um, but the right level of engagement, right? So it doesn't necessarily mean we have to engage on every project because you do want to entrust and empower the people that you have, but certainly when it is the number one initiative and it is something as important as EMR, you have to be there. You have to be visible. If we are going to be putting in that overtime, if we are going to be having to sacrifice some of that work-life balance, which we all agree is at times necessary, then when we do that, we do that arm-in-arm and together. So we certainly appreciate you guys for what you did and sharing with us on the show. Uh, Next week, we're going to have Al Hopper on the show. He has got a brand-new technology that he says revolutionizes social media and the way that we engage. So it's a new offering that he's bringing out. It's a startup organization that helps manage your social media so that you can manage your work life. So if you are a young entrepreneur, a new entrepreneur, or somebody like me who has to try to do it all, he's got a product that is supposed to help us engage the customer but not allow you to to lose your voice. So we're really excited to have Al on the show. Can't wait to talk to him and find out what his product does. That's going to be next week on the Work-Life Balance. And for once, I'm not going to be traveling all over the world next week. So I'll be doing it from sunny Birmingham, Alabama, where I get a chance to actually have my family see me and uh, make sure that whoever has been uh, taking my place while I've been gone exits the house. So uh, we'll be excited to be back home and uh, ready to get back home and, and look forward to having everybody Uh, Back with me next week live on the Work-Life Balance. We love you all. The numbers continue to increase uh, every week when I get the numbers. I'm just so blessed that you guys are out there listening so that I know that I'm not talking to myself uh, in a room in Birmingham. So we love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week on the Work-Life Balance. This has been Rick Morris. Talk to you soon. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show.